Hebrews 13, verses 7 through 19. It's our scripture reading this morning. <clears throat> Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. Chris, thank you. Real quickly, let me just give you an invitation, a couple of invitations. Um, a number of you are newer in attendance to our church, and I'd like to invite you to our Get Acquainted with Walnut Park class. We meet, uh, Lord willing, we'll start next Sunday at 9.30, and during our Sunday school hour, our growth class hour, and then uh, we'll go for four weeks with that. We'll cover who we are, what we do, why we're a church, we'll tell our story. Uh, Steve Phillips goes through the whole history of our church, and it's a lot of fun. It, he does a great job with that. But it's very casual, um, uh, at ease, it's conversational, and it's just a chance to get to know me, and I get to know you a little bit, and, and uh, we, just, we just love to invite you to come to that. So that'd be next Sunday, starting at 9.30. Maybe we can chat about that this next week and uh, make some plans that way. Also, uh, I'd like to encourage you, those that are not involved with Awana or youth ministry or other Bible studies that are going on Wednesday, let me invite you to our uh, Bible study that we have over here in our aquarium, our fishbowl, so to speak, and it's a Bible study on the doctrine of encouragement. I realize the Bible has a whole lot to say about encouragement, and I need this, and um, we'll cover how this affects what we do and how we live in this day and how it's not a circumstantial thing. It's a relational thing with God, the Holy Spirit, who is our encourager. So you're invited to that. Uh, you can't make it every week. Just show up whatever weeks you can. Uh, it'll go on for eight weeks starting this coming Wednesday and through September and into October as well. So those are two invitations along the way. We're looking through the book of Hebrews. We've been on this for a number of years now uh, on our communion Sundays, our Lord's Day Sundays, our Lord's Supper Day Sundays. And uh, we're looking at the superiority of Jesus Christ. He's so much better than all the angels, of, than Moses, than, 
that all the sacrifices that were there, all of these have reasons, but Jesus is what it's all about. And we want to lift up his name and exalt his name here in these next few minutes as we search the word. The text, as we've had read, is Hebrews 13, verses 9 through 19. And I'll be frank with you. When, when I first started working on this passage, this text seemed to be a little bit, well, why is it here? Why do I need this? And I kind of thought, well, maybe we just kind of skip over it because verse 7 and verse 17 kind of have a similar theme there that Pastor Jordan already addressed. But why are these verses here? And I thought, well, maybe they're... And then I started searching it out and thinking, this is really important. What we have here is a summation of the whole book of Hebrews of why it's so important that we see the superiority of Jesus Christ. Remember these realities, and we have these prompted to us here in Hebrews 13. The Lord is your helper. You're going to need that to be able to make it through these days, whatever it is you're going through. The Lord is your helper. Amen? That's in verse 6. You see that there? We can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is my helper. Hang on to that no matter what. The Lord is your helper. Draw near to him. He wants to help you. He eases your load. Then secondly, I want you to see again this reality. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's the truth, no matter what our culture throws at us. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's verse 8. You see it there? Jesus Christ is the same. This Messiah is the same. Jesus Christ. The Messiah is the same yesterday and today and forever. Since the COVID pandemic, we've observed a dramatic shift in our culture. You can't help but notice it. Most churches have found that from the pandemic on, that about 30 to 40 percent, 30 to 40 percent just stopped coming to church at all, never returned. Thankfully, we didn't see that, but it's happening all around. People just aren't going to church anymore. Why? Why would I? That's a question for you. Why would you go to church? What is this all about anyway? I'm intrigued by this. Has God changed? No, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So what's going on in our culture and ethically in our thinking that's drawing it down so quickly. In this day and age, you're going to need the strength in your heart to come from something more than just your culture. We need to strengthen our hearts. And the question of the hour is how? How is this going to happen? What will it take? First, the writer mentions a warning. You see the warning here? Verse 9 do not be led away by diverse and strange teaching. That's a warning. Now, we're not exactly sure what these strange teachings were. Something to do in that culture with food and, and various things that way. There's so many things that will attempt to distract you from the main thing. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And Jesus Christ is the main thing. So, Whatever the customs that are going on in this passage, we're not exactly sure. 
But we do know what the strange teachings and the confusing things that are going on in our culture today, strange doctrines. Let me just mention a couple. I think this is a, a teaching moment that a pastor needs to bring out in our day to help discernment uh, being instant in season, out of season, reproving, rebuking, exhorting with all long suffering and doctrine. There's some teaching that needs to go on. Again, we need to keep clear from various fads, health gimmicks, political agendas that use religion as their driving force. Let me encourage you to study liberation theology now that's not a great wonderful entertaining study but let me encourage you to think through that look it up search it out know what's going on with this thing called liberation theology once you do that and then you're watching the news or you're listening to the news or you're reading the news you're going to be going oh so that's why that's happening it's a strange and confusing theology Theology is the study of what God is and what God says. And there's so many things that are be adding to what the Bible has to say that are not true theology. Liberation theology. On the other end of the spectrum, you have a teaching that is becoming more and more dominant or talked about. It's called Kingdom Now Theology. Kingdom Now Theology is emphasizing new prophecies that are saying it's time for Christians to take over. Take over the government, take over the schools, take over business, take over uh, whatever. But it's, it, I think there are seven, seven or so areas that, that Christians, are, these prophecies are bringing out that it's now, now is the time to step up and take over. Based on new prophecies, not in the Word of God. And when you see and understand that strange and diverse teaching, you put those two together and you hear the news, you're going, oh, oh. So that's what's going on. Be wise, be discerning, don't be bamboozled. That's one of my favorite words. Don't be bamboozled, don't be confused. Bad theology leads to bad results. Mark it down. There's another teaching that I want you to be aware of and alert to. And I think it bears on our passage here very much so. And it's called deconstruction philosophy. Deconstruction. Have you heard that term bantered about recently? I'm deconstructing. What are they deconstructing? Well, I'm sure there are many different ways that it comes about, and different ones have different ideas about it, and every man is doing that which is right in his own eyes. That didn't work out so well <laughs> for the children of Israel, did it? Um, but according to those that are promoting these viewpoints, what is it that they're saying? Again, I, I want you to hang with me here. I think you'll see why this is so important that we understand what's going on. According to the, the main proponents of this, um, there are six basic pillars of religious deconstructionism, all right? And this is brought out in, a, in an article on um, pathos.com 
a, a couple of years ago, but it, but it, it is still, at, at its core, these are the things that are being emphasized. Different people have different things that they're, they're pushing on, on this agenda, but these are the main ones. No Bible, no hell, no substitutionary atonement, no sovereignty of God. No end times return of Jesus or any thought about heaven. And no church. You put those up there and you're, you're thinking, so what do you have left? Uh, the Bible is mocked. It's, it just, it's, the, it's a priori assumption is it, it's full of all kinds of errors. There's no real faithful discussion about digging in deeper to see how these things are so. Uh, there's no thought about eternal judgment because there's no doctrine of sin, really, and you don't have to worry about it. It's just you don't have to have any. You, there's not a God that you have to face. There's no sovereign God. But the key factor in all of this is this matter of the substitutionary atonement is repulsive. The idea that there would be a God who would send his son to die in my place to take my punishment, that's, 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 that's awful. We don't want that. And it's, it's been offensive to, to religions for generations, for, for centuries, but it's very much so offensive today, this idea of a substitutionary atonement, of a sovereign God who says there's something more than just right now. So if, if, you, if you take away the substitutionary atonement, you're not worried about hell. You're not worried about the Bible. You don't really think about God. And the last thing you need is church. Why would you go to church? But if you do away with all that, what do you have left? A house with no foundation built on sand, the sand of self. Where's that going to leave you? With no hope. No hope. Would you note particularly number three in that list? The substitutionary atonement. That's talking about Jesus. Alistair Begg and I went out on a walk together this week, and he had some good things to say. <laughs> well, actually, it was an MP3 recording of some teaching of his on this verse, on this passage. And he said this. We only need to live life, we need only to read Pilgrim's Progress, and let me encourage you again to do that, to recognize the daunting challenge each of us face, surrounded as we are by all kinds of ideas and all kinds of contradictory notions. And when we think in terms of Jesus being the same yesterday, today, and forever, we need to understand that the writer, the book of Hebrews, the writer is emphasizing the timelessness of who Jesus is and what he has done. The same yesterday, today, and forever. It's all about Jesus. Who he is? God in the flesh, sent to do something that none of us could do for ourselves. And what did he do? Well, we're going to see that described here. Then we read, notice these words in verse 9. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by 
grace. Emphasize grace in your life. It is good to be, for the heart to be strengthened by grace. Grace, that's a big word in the Bible. It's so important that we comprehend how this fits into who God is and what our lives are like, and we'll be amazed by it again and again. Not some other substitute, like foods or religion or politics or selfish wisdom. We need God's grace. It is good for your heart to be strengthened by God's grace. You know what grace is? God's riches at Christ's expense. Life forever, eternal life. And it's not just something that is a nice gift. It is a gift. For by grace are we saved through faith, not of ourselves. It is the gift of God. But that gift is something that God is doing for us that we cannot do for ourselves. Grace is God doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves. It's Him enabling something within us that we don't have. God providing for us a way of salvation. So it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. In this world, in this day, with all these confusing things going on around us, it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. God, would you do that as we open these scriptures together? Would you strengthen our hearts? Help us to see the goodness of this. May we be encouraged with your truth. Give us a conviction of it that, God, your ways are right, and the only way of salvation is Jesus Christ. May he be lifted up now as we consider again your wonderful gift of grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Conviction. For some reason, I was having a hard time getting that word out. But it's what we talk about here. We have a conviction of God's grace. So what is the basis for our understanding and application of this thing called grace? It's going to be good for us as we understand this. God's grace. Well, first of all, God's grace provides the promise of forgiveness. We cannot come up with forgiveness without Jesus. They, the, the Hebrew readers of this letter, understood the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement. A substitute would take away their sin. It would be a gracious act of taking away their sin. And, and we need to understand this as well, very well, for us to understand God's grace. It is hard to understand, but again, let me encourage you, just like we've been doing all the way through the book of Hebrews, dig a little bit deeper, get a little bit more awareness of the history of the people, of the work of God leading through the whole Old Testament that makes sense in the book of Hebrews. <clears throat> if you know the book of Hebrews, the Old Testament makes sense. If you know the Old Testament, the book of Hebrews makes sense. So it may be hard, it may be difficult, but it's important to understand this. The Day of Atonement offered the promise of forgiveness. And it was a picture to the people of what God would do in fulfilling that promise. A picture of forgiveness. The Day of Atonement. It's still on the Jewish calendar. 
happening again this year, September 24th and 25th, that weekend. It's Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And everything starts 10 days before Yom Kippur with what is known as Rosh Hashanah, their new year, the Jewish new year. It's a time not so much, when we think of the new year of January 1st, what is everybody doing? You're throwing a party. Uh, you're, you're shooting off fireworks. You're going to Times Square. You're, you're, you're staying up past midnight. It's, it's a, you're watching football. It's a day off. All of these kind of concepts. But for the Jewish people, there's a whole different mindset in their new year. Rosh Hashanah. It's a time of reflection on the sinful actions of the past and sincere repentance from those sins, sensing the need for forgiveness. Nowadays, on Rosh Hashanah, the Feast of Tabernacles, the Jewish New Year, this year, on September 15th, so just 15th through the 17th, so it's just a few days away, <clears throat> many Jews will practice the ritual known as Tashlik. Anybody ever hear of Tashlik? They'll go to a nearby body of water, a river or a lake nearby, and with a very somber, humble, repentant mindset, They'll say a prayer, and it's based on Micah 7, verse 19. You can look there if you want to see it. This is the way they say it, but it's almost quoting that verse. Micah 7, 19. God will take us back in love. Is that true? Our God is love. God will take us back in love. God will cover up our iniquities. You, God, will hurl all our sins into the depths of the sea. Yes! We're separated as far as, from our sin as far as the east is the west. It's buried in the deepest part of the ocean. He will hurl our sins into the depths of the sea. Then they'll all throw small pieces of bread into the water and eventually watch them sink. And those pieces of bread represent a person's sins. And the idea is that they look to God to drown them out of sight that's good to a point, but, but how? And the sad reality is that since A.D. 70, the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple, Jews have no longer had the Day of Atonement elements most necessary to convey the picture of how forgiveness comes, how it is that God forgives sin. They have no tabernacle. They have no temple. They have no high priest. They don't have the sacrifices. They still have the day, but they can't do it. So the closest thing they have left to present to God is a, an effort of throwing bread on the water on Rosh Hashanah. Good tradition, very thoughtful, but it doesn't say how forgiveness is found. In the Old Testament, but we're back to Hebrews here in just a second. But in the Old Testament, at the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, the high priest symbolically addressed his own sins through the sacrifice of a bull. 
It started with the high priest having to enter into the presence of God in that most holy place where God promised to be there at the holy place with the Ark of the Covenant and the angels worshiping and this mercy seat on top of this Ark and these items within the Ark that represent our sin. He'd have to go in and deal with his own sin first. And if he didn't deal with it right, he was a dead man. So then they'd have to pull him out with a cord, with a rope. Leviticus 16. Then the main ceremony focused on two male goats or lambs. In the translation of the scriptures, they're used interchangeably at times here. But two male goats. And by lot, one of the goats was selected as a purification offering. Its blood was sprinkled in different parts of the tabernacle, starting at the mercy seat in the Holy of Holies, the most holy place, verses 15 and 16. And then the tabernacle in general, the meeting place. Can we bring that back up? I think, did we lose it? There we go. The meeting place. Let's go back one slide as well, I think. Okay. And the, the most holy place and then the, meeting, the, the tent of meeting, the tabernacle in general. And then the altar outside, verses 18 and 19. And this is the whole point, that there was a whole lot of blood throughout that place. And that was to remind them of what God promised on the Passover. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. With the tabernacle purified, the next step addressed the sins of the people themselves. And now this is verses 20 through 22. The priest placed his hands on the head of a second goat. So you've had the the bull for the priest, and then the lamb or the goat that was sacrificed, and the blood was put around the the temple. And now you have a second goat. And there's a confession made of all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions and all their sins. That covers everything, doesn't it? So there was another lamb involved, a goat here. And that lamb or that goat was sent away into the wilderness, wilderness, never to be seen again, never to be brought up again. And that's the key. When God forgives, it's never to be brought up again. So Leviticus 16 connects the second goat with the word traditionally understood as a compound word meaning the goat of removal. I won't go into all the theology there, but it's a goat that was removed. And so we get our English term, the scapegoat, from the Day of Atonement. The second goat that was sent out in the desert never to return again. It was sent away. God gave the Hebrew readers a picture of how He would forgive a substitute, not them, but a sacrifice would take away their sins. He would forgive, and a substitute would take away their sin. It wasn't them doing it, it was somebody else. Who was that going to be? Well, God kept making this promise. It's not that animal, that's just a picture. It's the one and only Messiah, this anointed one, this Lamb of God, that would take away the sins of the world. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. Yet the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Why are you here today? Why are you in church? 
What is it that's going on in your heart that makes you want what God has done for you? He has promised to forgive you. That longing of our soul is to know I'm forgiven and wanted, and there's a reconciliation. The word atonement, the day of atonement, the word atonement means to put something back together that was broken, a relationship restored. And God forgives so our relationship with Him can be restored. A promise of forgiveness, propitiation, covering, and reconciliation. How? Jesus did that. All of the Old Testament is looking forward to what Jesus did. We look back on what Jesus did. All of history revolves around what Jesus did. He came, lived the perfect righteous life, never once sinned. Went to the cross, bore our sins on that cross, was buried, died, and rose again the third day and conquered our sin and our grave, and he took our sins away, never to be brought up again. So the writer of Hebrews has already emphasized, in fact, this is a, shall we say, a recapitulation, is coming back to the main theme. The whole book of Hebrews, the highlight, the, the high point of the book is Hebrews chapter 10, chapters 9 and 10, where it's talking about this very thing, we don't have a high priest, we have Jesus. We, we have the high priest, the one and only, who died, was buried, and rose again so that we could have life. Let me encourage you to go back and study Hebrews 9 and 10. And here you're going to see it stated again, here in chapter 13. Verse 11. Verse 10, verse, verse 10 and 11. We have an altar, Christ on the cross, we have an altar from which we, from, from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sins, they're burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate on a hill called Golgotha, Calvary, in order to sanctify the people through His own blood. Why are you here today? Why are we going to celebrate the Lord's Supper, the Lord's table? What's motivating us to worship Him? His grace that forgives the longing of our soul is to know I'm forgiven, I'm wanted, I'm accepted in the beloved. And grace offers this forgiveness. And that's the whole point of the gospel. How do we handle hard times in our world? Remember God's grace that offers forgiveness. God's grace offers us forgiveness. God's riches at Christ's expense. So how are you doing with that? Are you appropriating Christ's provision of forgiveness? Have you come to him and said, Jesus, you're the only one that can forgive my sins. I trust in you for that cleansing. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen? How are you doing with that? 
Are you feeling defeated? Unworthy? Maybe you're feeling, hey, I'm doing pretty good. Look at me. Do you realize that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins? We're all sinners. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. And we need His forgiveness. Here's another question for you. Are you extending forgiveness because of Christ's provision of forgiveness? Can you forgive? How in the world do people forgive? If you take away the substitutionary atonement, the day of atonement, if you take away what Jesus did, and there's no forgiveness, how in the world do you forgive? If you don't understand the forgiveness that comes from God, how in the world do you actually forgive without it being a selfish thing? The thing that's falling apart in our culture, as you remove the need for Jesus, as you remove this this forgiveness that comes through God's grace, if you do away with the hope of the gospel, what happens is nobody can really forgive, and it becomes a dog-eat-dog world. It becomes revenge. You did that to me, I'm going to do that to you, and it's just a vicious cycle that never ends. And we need the gospel. We need the hope of the gospel of grace that teaches us God's forgiveness and how we forgive as well. We desperately need the gospel in today's culture. So how are you doing with doing that? Extending forgiveness because of Christ's provision of forgiveness. Everyone in this room will let you down, including the guy standing here. Everyone will sin against you somewhere along the way. How are you doing with extending forgiveness because of Christ's forgiveness? I beg you to get this within your own heart. This grace that really does work. I've been hanging around Jordan too long, and I'm preaching a little bit longer than I really intend to here, all right? I'll wrap up, and we'll continue on the next time. But there's a second thing we need to emphasize of God's grace here, and that is hope. God's grace provides us hope. Not only forgiveness and the promise of forgiveness and the cleansing that comes with that, but we have this hope, a hope that remains sure, a hope of heaven. For here we have a lasting city, but we seek Excuse me, for here we have no lasting city, but we seek a city that is to come. And as we've just sung, one day he'll make sense of it all in this world. And it's all made sense by Jesus, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. One day every question will be resolved. And it's all resolved because of Jesus, who finished the work on the cross. And one day we'll see face to face Jesus. Is there any greater vision of grace that forgives and gives us hope because he loves me? You've heard me say dozens of times from this pulpit, please remember this, God loves you. That's why he forgives. That's why he did what he did. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Why are you here today? Why aren't you out hanging out, doing your own thing? There's a reason. This week when Hurricane Adelia hit Florida, 
a tree fell on a house of a young couple with their small child. Brandon, the dad, jumped on top of his wife, Summer, and their child, Amelia, to cover them. Thankfully, they all lived through that tragedy. And afterwards, when asked about it, the dad said, Brandon said, I did what anyone who loves his family would do. For one will scarcely dare for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us and that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. This awareness of the gospel of grace strengthening our hearts draws out our response to this. I'm going to lay these out here. We'll come back and address it the next time as we wrap up the book of Hebrews. But our response to all this is very motivating. God's love motivates us. His grace moves us to want to act on this. And this awareness of the gospel of grace strengthens our hearts to want to do this. Number one, continually offer sacrifices of praise to God, which is exalting His name. Why are you here today? Because of a great grace that gives you forgiveness, that gives you hope for everlasting life. And so you can't help but sing His praises to offer sacrifice of praise to God. Number two, do not neglect to do good. Make a difference with your life. Do something that's going to draw people to Jesus Christ. Number three, share. The word here is koinonia, or have fellowship with everything that you have. Learn to enjoy the other Christians that are around you and make a difference in the lives who need Christ. These things are pleasing to God. And obey. Obey. Because of the unchangeable nature of Jesus and the gospel, obey. Have a yielded spirit to want to do that. So it's not with grief that we have to go through life as ministers. Obey. And number five, pray. Pray. I'm often troubled by how little Christians are praying. I'm troubled by how little I pray. But you know what I find? Then when I'm moved by the gospel of grace, my heart is strengthened. I have courage to pray. Let me urge you to pray. Lord, may we be moved again by the grace that you provided for us. May our hearts be strengthened today, even in this day, because the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. All these sacrifices, all these pictures that were in the Old Testament pointing to what you would do, a very important picture of the atonement of how you would forgive sin. Thank you, Jesus, that you did that. It is finished. The debt is paid in full. Now, Lord, as we worship you in this time of communion, I pray, God, that our hearts would be moved to say thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for the hope of heaven. Thank you for your grace that is sufficient in our time of need. Lord, teach us to number our days and apply our hearts unto wisdom. We pray. With every head bowed, every eye closed, let me in just a few moments here, 30 seconds or so, just have you be quiet before the Lord and let the Holy Spirit bring to remembrance what he's taught you. 
and to emphasize to you his gracious work in your life through his word this morning. Christian, are you in awe of the Lord Jesus Christ? Thanking him, motivated by him, ready to have a conviction to stand up for him? Are you forgiving because of his forgiveness for you? Are you steadfast in your hope of heaven, knowing that it all makes sense in God's perfect plan? Here in just a moment, I'll ask that our deacons would come. We're going to stand and sing, Behold the Lamb, just one stanza, Behold the Lamb who bears our sins away, slain for us, and remember. The promise made that all who come in faith find forgiveness at the cross. Let's stand as we sing.